How to make a prison a palace is the subject for this morning. If you have been reading up to chapter 39, you will have read about Joseph being sold by his brothers to the Ishmaelites. He had had dreams. He told those dreams to his brothers and his father, and they didn't like it because it elevated him above them. His brothers in hatred wanted to get rid of him. One of his brothers persuaded the rest not to kill him, but rather to sell him as a slave. They did. They took his coat of many colors, his coat of authority, put it in blood, brought it back to their father Jacob, convincing him that Joseph had been killed. For 20 years, Jacob lived with that thought. In the meanwhile, Joseph went into Egypt and was purchased by one named Potiphar. And that is where our story picks up in chapter 39. He is in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was a captain of the guard. There are some interesting statements early in the chapter that need to be underscored. As Joseph moved in the house of, of Potiphar, notice in verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him. Isn't that a great statement? Also in verse 3, the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Verse 4, Joseph found grace in his sight. Verse 4, he made him overseer of all his house. This is unusual for a slave, wouldn't you say? For a foreigner, an outsider, a Jew in Egypt. Verse 5, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Verse 5, the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in his house and in the field. Verse 6, he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. I would say that this young Hebrew was during, doing pretty good, wouldn't you? Things were going quite well for Joseph. But something went wrong. I am grateful today if you have everything going well for you. The sun is shining in your sky. Everything is falling into place. But I have a feeling that it's not true for everyone here. I have a feeling that some of you at one time were in Potiphar's house, but now are in the prison house. That's what happened to Joseph, and it was nothing he could control. He was just being a good person. He was living for his God. Potiphar's wife looked with lust upon this handsome Hebrew lad tried to get him to lie with her over and over again. She pleaded with him. He would not. He said, I cannot do this sin against God. One day she was so driven by her lust that she pleaded with him earnestly. And he said, I cannot, and fled 
from her presence. And in fleeing, she grabbed onto his coat and he left it in her hand. Now, some would have gone back to pick up the coat, but Joseph was a wise man. You never turn around and go back. For it is in going back and in reconsidering that often we get into the gravest trouble of our lives. He had the good sense to run and keep running and left his coat in her hand. He ran clear out of the house and into the street, away from this wicked, lustful woman. She would not let this thing alone. She told all in the house that Joseph had come in to her. She told her husband, what about this Hebrew that you have brought into our house, look at what he has done. In rage and in anger, Potiphar took hold of Joseph and cast him into the prison next door. You see, when you're angry, it's very difficult to think correctly. Potiphar did not even have a trial, didn't even have a hearing, didn't even ask Joseph. What happened? Believed in anger the story of his wife. So, here in verse 20, we read, the king's prisoners were bound. And that was the plight of Joseph, this good, godly Hebrew. Death would have been the punishment for a crime like Joseph committed. But Potiphar was lenient. If he believed Joseph committed the crime, he should have put him to death, really. But there was something about him that would not allow Potiphar to take his life. Maybe he thought it best to hush up a scandal that he himself did not believe. I don't know, but this I know. He went from a palace to a prison. And we need to learn how to get out of the prison into the palace, like he did. It's a, an amazing story. Transferred from the house where he had everything at his command and control, and the house and the field was blessed because of his being there, to an ugly eastern prison, filthy, maggot-infested, where the prison keeper could do anything to the prisoners that his mind could imagine. Are you with me? One day we seem to be walking in blessing and the next we're thrust into a dungeon. One day everything seems to be well. Our husband is with us. Our children are with us. The next day they are taken some way by horrible death into the prison, the dungeon we go. One day we feel healthy and strong. The next day we're in an ICU unit in the hospital. And the verdict is not good. One day the business seems to be prospering. The next day things turn and we're in a dungeon. 
One day we're up on a spiritual mountain and the next day we don't seem to have a desire for God or the word or prayer or anything spiritual. How do you make a prison into a palace? Joseph is now at his lowest ebb, cast down in a moment by a lie. He had his career wrecked by his goodness. The world says, what a fool. But history shows whether he was a fool or not. There is a great lesson here for all of us. Right is right. Sin is sin. It is better to have a clean conscience in prison than be wicked and sit at the king's table. It is better to be cast down and know you're right with God than to be lifted up in compromise and in sin and know your heart is not right before God. We need to learn that these days. Somebody handed me a clipping from the paper between services that the psychologists have now decided that homosexual lifestyle is normal, that it is not abnormal. It's just as normal as a heterosexual life. Now, it takes that kind of education to discover that, folk, but I am here to tell you today, right is right and wrong is wrong, and it's better to live in a dungeon with a clean conscience than in a palace and be dirty and die without hope and without God. Don't forget that. How sorry some would feel for Joseph accepting the old-fashioned way. Run! But look at verse 21. Here is one of the greatest lines in all the Bible. But the Lord was with Joseph. I would rather have the Lord with me and be in shame than be looked upon by the world and know that I was not living the way the Lord wanted me to live. That, to me, is one of the most eloquent buts of Scripture. But the Lord was with Joseph. The prison is light when God is there. The chains do not chafe when he wraps his love around those chains. Whether it's John on Patmos, John Bunyan in Bedford Jail, George Fox in prison in Lancaster Castle, or Lieutenant Colonel Robinson Reisner in a hell hole in Vietnam called a prison. Robinson Reisner is one of our Assemblies of God men, the brother of Jack Reisner, who pastors Foothill Christian Center right here in our community. Colonel Reisner said to me, Glenn, the only way I made it was I knew the Lord was with me. And my friends, that's the only way any of us will make it, is to know what Joseph knew. The Lord was with Joseph. God can make your prison into a palace. I know some of you go home to a prison today, mates that do not understand you, situations that are not conducive to spiritual life, but in your prison, God can be there and make it a palace. Hang in there. Don't give up. 
take what I am about to tell you home with you today, tomorrow into your business, into the shop, into the office, for it is the revelation of God from his word to our hearts. And here is what God has asked me to tell you. Four things. Divine light, divine responsibility, divine revelation, and divine love. Notice the divine and the human joining together in this trial of Joseph's faith. First of all, divine light. What was it that made the keeper of the prison turn all the prisoners over to Joseph? Was that normal? Here comes a new guy on the block, a prison block. New prisoner, young fella, handsome, ruddy. All of a sudden, the keeper of the prison says to him, you take it all over. Was the keeper of the prison lazy? I don't think that would have been the reason. Was the keeper of the prison fearful of the rest of the prisoners and would rather let Joseph suffer under that? No, I don't really think so. What I really believe is the keeper of the prison fell under the charm of a righteous man. The look in his face, the way he talked, the way he walked, the way he acted. His occupation had not brought him into touch with such a man as this before. And there was only one thing for him to do, say, would you take over here? And he did. This jewel shined more brightly against the dark background of criminals in the king's prison. As I said a moment ago, in the eastern prison, the keeper could do anything. He could beat the prisoners. He could kill them. He could do anything, harass them, whatever he wanted. But Joseph won the heart of that man who was used to the greatest atrocities and crimes that you could ever Connive. Joseph won hearts because God was with him. Divine light shone from him. The New Testament says we are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Should it be thought a thing impossible for this to happen, a prison into a palace? May I share with you one of my pastor gripes this morning? Here it is. People coming to me saying, Pastor, please pray that God will take me out of the cesspool of iniquity that I work in. Don't ask me to pray about that. For you see, light shines well in dark places. We're not here to sit in little glory circles and pat each other on the back and decide how good each of us is. We are to be lights in this dark world. You are to be right in the middle of that hell hole. That's why you're there, God's representative. Please don't ask me to pray for your release. I will pray the other way. I want you there. Those are prospects for this church and for heaven. God has put you there 
so the divine light may shine forth that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. They need to see somebody like you. You ought not to feel like that's bad, like you're underprivileged. You ought to walk in there with your head high and know you're the only one that really knows what's going on. You've really got it together. And you know what happens? The Christians become the leaders because they're on time. They pay their bills. They don't waste their money on drink. They don't lose time at work. They come back from coffee break on time. They serve well. They're like Joseph. And before long, the boss says, would you take this thing over for me? It seems to run better when you're in charge than when I'm in charge. Amen. How many have been attracted to this church because they saw something different when a person walked into an office one day? How many wives are glorifying God today because one day their husbands met the Lord and they don't come home and beat the family anymore? Divine light shines out and the family doesn't need to hide now. There's been a change. We owe it to the Lord, to ourselves and to the world to be magnets for Jesus Christ. Divine light accompanied Joseph into that prison, making it a palace. You see, that light does not just shine as we sit here and listen to the choir. It does not just shine as we sit here today and enjoy the atmosphere of this great service. It does not just shine as we sit in Sunday school classes. That light goes with us out into the parking lot, out into the world, out to the shop and to the office tomorrow. And all week long, the light is beaming forth, divine light coming into the human frame, and it makes the prison, the palace. I just discovered something as I was preaching. The choir and the orchestra are still up here. God bless you. I forgot all about you. I was supposed to let them go down. Ha, ha, ha. Let the light shine. Amen. Smile. Great. See, they videoed the early service anyway, so it doesn't matter. Aren't they nice? Bless them. Somebody listening to the tape now will sure wonder what went on in that little segment. Divine light. Secondly, divine responsibility. Joseph found work to do in that prison. He did not shirk it. He might have said, this is not worthy of me. I had all of Potiphar's house to rule. Shall I stoop to this? Some of the folks I've met would have sulked in the corner. They would have stooped to idleness, inactivity. I don't deserve to be here, therefore I'm not going to do anything. I'll just sit. Thinking themselves above the humdrum duties of the prison. But I see Joseph cheerfully discharging the duties his hands found in that miserable jail. And by so doing, he made that prison 
into a palace. Verse 23 is the result. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. That was the finest jail in the East. The best conditions were there because Joseph was there. That prison became a palace. Those prisoners didn't know what had happened to their prison. Things were better. Sun was shining in. Everything was cleaner. Everything was brighter because a man of God shared the divine responsibility. He was willing to work in a prison. We need a more Christian view and understanding of what prosperity is today, in my opinion. Now, some of the folk today on the prosperity doctrine would look at Joseph in a prison and say, hmm, he must have missed it somewhere, or he would never have gone into the prison. But I don't accept that. There are no exceptions to the law that if a man does his work as unto the Lord, that which he does, the Lord makes it to prosper, whether he's in a prison or a palace, whether he's sweeping a street or sitting up on the 30th floor of a big office building. The law is absolute. If he gives it his all, the Lord makes it to prosper. That I believe. Ira Sankey wrote the song simply trusting every day, trusting through a stormy way, even when my faith is small. Trusting Jesus, that is all. That's all I have to do is trust him. Singing if my way is clear, praying if the path is drear, if in danger for him call, trusting Jesus, that is all. Trusting as the moments fly, trusting as the days go by, trusting him whate'er befall, trusting Jesus, that is all. I want you to notice some verses in the Bible about this thing of prosperity. It begins in the 20th chapter of Exodus, verse 9, with one of the commandments, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. That's where it begins when people are willing to labor and do all their work in six days and keep the seventh for what we're doing today. This is not the day to labor. This is the day to give to God. Six days shalt thou labor. When you honor that, prosperity will come. The prison becomes a palace. Ecclesiastes 5.12, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. You sleep better when you learn how to work. Ephesians 4.28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. If you've been a thief and you're converted to Christ, the thing now to do is to get busy, get to work, and then give to those who are in need. You'll prosper. 1 Thessalonians 4.11, study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing, prosperity. Second Thessalonians 3, 10 to 13, hear the word of the Lord. If any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. 
Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Be not weary in well-doing. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth or one that is a vagabond and thy want as an armed man. Hear the word of the Lord in Proverbs 15, 19. The way of the slothful man is as an hedge of thorns. Have you ever been in one? Not pleasant. Joseph didn't just sit around waiting to be prosperous. Notice what the Bible says. The Lord made all that he did to prosper. Divine responsibility is placed on the child of God to work with his hands and not to be looking for four-day weeks and 30-hour weeks and all kinds of vacation time. That's when the devil plays on your idleness. God says, occupy till I come. We are living in a day when all of this worldly idea keeps pouring into our minds. The more you can get out of, the better off you are. Spend more time on the boat. Spend more time at the cabin. Spend more time in leisure. Nonsense! I have seen people perish, lose their spiritual equilibrium because it's not a divine law. It's a lie from the pits. We learned this secret as we watched Joseph. He didn't sit around and sulk, depending on the prison welfare department to take care of him. He got busy with his hands. He worked. He was a man of God. He had a responsibility. And the outcome was he was put over the whole prison. I said earlier the Christian employee is back on time from the break, and he's on time in the morning, and he doesn't leave until it's time to leave. Somebody was talking to me this week about taking more time, and you know, I appreciate the goodwill of people who are worried that I work too hard, but folks, I'll tell you, I only know one way to live. I am happy working. I get great fulfillment doing what God has given me to do. I don't understand even 40-hour weeks. I haven't seen a 40-hour week since I don't know when. I don't understand that. It's beyond me. If I have so much to do, that's what I want to get done. God gives the strength to do it if your motive is right and your love is right and your conscience is pure, whether it's in a prison or in a palace, whether it's in the pastorate or in the custodial area. I don't care where it is. God has laid down a law. Whatever he did, God made him to prosper. When I go out to speak to preachers, they say, how does your church grow? I say, work, work. Don't sit in an office and say, oh, God bless my church. Get out and work. Preach, pray, administrate, encourage, lift, help, sing, get on the radio, get on television, go to the hospital, talk to people, love people, work. Oh, I thought there was an easier way. 
There is not an easier way. I'm talking about health. Give your life. And God will give himself to you. And if I should drop dead of a heart attack in five minutes, I'm glad I said what I said. I'll still stick by it. I'll stick by it. Because I believe it's a divine principle stuck here for our admonitions. Whatever Joseph did, not thought about, or hoped for, but what he did, the Lord made it to prosper. That's how his prison became a palace. For two years, he could get through it because that prison was better than it had ever been before. Thirdly, aren't you glad we're moving along now? Divine revelation. Ha, 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 ha. My wife will talk to me about that point when I get home. I know. I can just hear her now. <laughs> I've tried to tell her through the years that more people die asleep than any other way. Dreams were the usual method of divine communication in Genesis. This friend of God by the name of Joseph was in touch with God and could interpret those dreams. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. Do not interpretations belong to God. Those who live close to God have insights into his purposes. A prison becomes a palace when divine revelation is flowing into your life. Notice what Paul wrote to the Corinthians, first book, chapter 1, verse 18. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved. It is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. 2 Corinthians 4.3, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Joseph was hearing from heaven, making his prison a palace. It was like Job sitting on the top of an ash heap. He didn't like that, but he was able to say, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Divine revelation. He had all of these boils and all of this filthy surrounding, but he had communication coming in. I know, I know that my Redeemer liveth. I can make it. And the latter end of Job was greater than the former. That's how you make a prison a palace. You know that isn't the end of it. Joseph dreamed a dream. He saw himself over a vast domain. He saw himself sitting on a throne. He saw himself governing a kingdom. And it happened. Divine revelation. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew. I see it often when people pass away relatives who don't know God grieve, weep, mourn over death. The Christian exults, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Why divine revelation? That's not the end. The old tabernacle, the shell is gone. It's buried into the earth, but the loved one is alive and well in the presence of God's divine revelation. 
Some of you are in that prison and you have not seen the greater picture. Let the Holy Spirit, while I'm speaking to you today, give you divine revelation. Let him show you the end from the beginning. Let him show you where you're going to be one of these days. Let him take you from that prison into a palace. Let the divine infiltrate the human. That's what happened to Joseph. And finally, divine love. In chapter 40 of Genesis, verse 7, is this little line, Wherefore look ye so sad today? Joseph, looking at those prisoners and their countenances, said, Wherefore look ye so sad today? He reached out to those in need, and it unlocked their hearts. The love of this man turned the key in their hearts. He was not so swallowed up in his own trouble that he could not see the marks of another's sorrow. He took time to comfort in that prison. His troubles were not selfish motivations. As often they are with us. Our troubles sometimes make us selfish, but God used Joseph and his troubles to give him a tender heart and to be quick of hand to minister to those who were in need. I love that. And I have found that's the quickest way out of the prison possibly there is. To reach out to somebody else who's in trouble. To say, why look you so sorrowful today? Why is your countenance so sad? Well, I'm in prison. And you can say, so am I. But God is with me. And you can reach out through the love of God like Jesus did to a hurting person. Jesus found joy in his suffering. He endured the shame and is now sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus stooped to suffer that we might succor them that suffer. Some of you have gotten so caught up in your problem, your little prison, your circumstance that you have failed to see someone next to you that needs your help, needs your love, needs your touch, needs your healing hand. And when you reach out to them, suddenly your prison is no longer a prison. Your prison is a palace of beauty and of joy and of glory because God is there. Divine love. I'm always blessed when God confirms messages I'm going to preach. I opened yesterday's mail after it came through the slot. There was an envelope from Steve Long, who worships with us, and he wrote a little note, said, Pastor, I just thought of you when I read this. It's from Streams in the Desert, the beautiful devotional book, dated August the 27th. Paul not only stood the tests in Christian activity, but in the solitude of captivity. You may stand the strain of the most intense labor coupled with severe suffering and yet break down utterly when laid aside from all religious activities, when forced into close confinement in some prison house. The noble bird soaring the highest above the clouds and enduring the longest flight sinks into despair when in a cage where it is forced to beat its helpless wings against its prison bars. Paul in prison. That was another side of life. 
Do you want to see how he takes it? I see him looking out over the top of his prison wall and over the heads of his enemies. I see him write a document and sign his name, not the prisoner of Festus nor of Caesar, not the victim of the Sanhedrin, but the prisoner of the Lord. He saw only the hand of God in it all. To him the prison becomes a palace. That caught Steve's eye, evidently, when he thought of my message today. Sent it to me in the mail. Its corridors ring with shouts of triumphant praise and joy. Restrained from the missionary work he loved so well, he now built a new pulpit, a new witness stand, and from that place of bondage come some of the sweetest and most helpful ministries of Christian liberty. What precious messages of light come from those dark shadows of captivity. Paul in prison. Joseph in prison. Jesus on a cross. But out of the prison comes a palace. Out of the dungeon comes joy, words of comfort and healing and help. God does it that way all the time. If we will but learn how to make our prisons into palaces. I suggest under the anointing of the Holy Spirit there are four ways. Remember divine light can shine forth from you and those in the darkness can find light and hope because of you in the darkness where you are. There is divine responsibility. You are to work with your hands. Where you are, God has you. Where you are, for a divine purpose. It is not his plan, at least today, to move you somewhere else. You are where you are, because God wants you there. Take that divine divine responsibility and work with your hands where you are, and all that you do will prosper. Then there is divine revelation. When in that prison and all around seems to be hopeless and dirty and dark, there is light that comes into your soul from God. Though you will be slain, you know your Redeemer liveth. Though all of the outward circumstances seem perishing, you know that everything works together for good because you love the Lord. That's divine revelation. And then you have divine love to reach out to those in the prison with you and touch them and comfort them. And somehow in doing that, there comes a new dimension to your own life, to your own situation. You endure because you found the great secret of Old and New Testament. All that he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Bow your heads with me, please. I ask that you remain steady now for the next few minutes. Please respect the rights of all by remaining just for these brief moments as we zero in now on personal need and minister to that need. Heavenly Father, your spirit invades this building 
and thereby your spirit invades our hearts. You have helped us as we have looked into the word, the mirror of God, to see ourselves. So often we find ourselves complaining in our prison, getting a very resentful spirit, not seeing what you can do through us in that situation. Forgive us, Father. Today, let the light shine. Let people see this great truth and begin to live it out in the days ahead. And dear God, I pray that you'll minister to every dear friend that feels they're in a prison. Very personally minister to them and powerfully minister to them. While our heads are bowed in prayer, may I ask?